you know, you're about to put a, a shitload of boots on the ground, right? In terms of covering ground. Well, two boots, but two boots, <laughs> <laughs> two boots, two boots, a shitload of times. There you go. There you go. Um, but you know, a shitload of shitload boots. of boots. <laughs> How many boots you go through? <laughs> Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50-pound bag, you know, format, mm-hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer, and that's since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hunter podcast episode 112 in reverse seat of our pants today rocking and rolling yeah you know uh it's January, end of January. Yeah, hey, go go go. Yeah, it's still January if you're listening to this, right? Uh, thirty first. How about that? How about that? Um, well, the nice thing is, yeah, season's over, but it's kind of shed season. Shed season. Yeah, hey, there you go. Jared picked through the shirts and then gave me this one, so. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be how it always is. When they ask us for a shipping address, I give them my house uh-huh. that I pick through, but I bring you what I don't want. I understand that. <laughs> That's like whenever anybody. I was like, Jeremy doesn't care what he looks like. When everybody asks, uh, how did, how did you guys run out of hats already? It's because Jared picked thirty five of them out already and stored them in his house. Yeah, this one's like we've been going for a while. You just sweat through them or what? Yeah, I sweat through. Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the only hats I wear. I wear them to the gym. There's or- a bunch of homeless guys wearing around sweaty <laughs> sweaty hunter. That's okay. The one dude on 31 up here. Jared yeah. just comes out with the hunter hat every time. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that guy. Or is it? Spidey guy? Uh, homeless guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Spidey homeless guy? Yeah. <laughs> He's cold. He's like, are you guys going to get uh, tossle caps or what? Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's winter here. How about we get some beanies rocking? Uh, anyways, uh, it's sh- it's kind of shed season. So we brought a shed guy in to talk. A shed guy. Big woods guy. Does Steve identify as a shed guy? I think so. Okay. I mean, how dare you assume his uh, shed hunting it, preference? I thought it was. I thought it was Steve Shed Shirk. The Shed Shirk. Yeah. Steve the Shed Shirk. <laughs> that sounds about right. So we brought Steve in. Uh, talk. Maybe do a little recap here about end of season and uh, kind of talk about what he's looking at um, here in the next few weeks. You know, starting to get some boots on the ground and. Um, maybe shed some light on things that we could all be doing. All right. Let's get them on. Steve the Shed. Sure. <laughs> Steve the Shed Shirk. I can hear you. You hear me? Yeah. All right. Just so, yeah, just so everyone knows, I know what a shed is. So. You have one. <laughs> they is that, are, is that this year's? No, that was last year's uh, big eight point that, that I was shed hunting last year. Uh-huh. So, um, Steve, I guess that one of the things that we could start off first, thanks for coming back. We, we kind of flew by the seat of our pants and we're like, uh, who's, who's around? Well, Steve's either walking in the woods or he's available for a call. <laughs> can always count on Steve. Yeah. To, so, to um, right. 
But I guess, you know, obviously Jared and I were up there, um, I guess middle, later middle part of October. It was the third week of October, I think. Yep. And uh, it seemed like maybe, I don't know, a week or two after that, really action started to kind of pick up there. But even pre-podcast, we were saying, you know, it doesn't seem like you had as much activity well, dude, let's, as you used to. Can we start there? Let's start but, with the trip. We haven't even like really got to catch up okay. since then. Like, uh, Jeremy and I have obviously talked about it several times since. Like, it was it was uh, a lot of fun and an interesting experience to come up and do the Big Woods thing. You know, like, you know, Jeremy and I hunt our own farms a lot and, and try to make it to the Midwest. And, uh, you know, we obviously talked with you there. Like, we had probably some some preconceived notions or expectations of, like, you know, because you have so many pictures of, deer, of these deer, you know, and, and there's a lot of mature age class and stuff, and we're like what are we getting into? And like, you know, it's no secret. We had a, we, I think everybody in camp that week had a tough couple of days. It was like a, just a three day hunt. But I mean, weather wise, I feel like I oh, it was perfect. It, it was perfect. I was like, dude, we got this cold front. And, um, so let's, let's start there. I'm curious, like your thoughts on, on that week. And then fr- from there we can, we can go on, but yeah, it was kind of like a roller coaster season. Um, I don't see, uh, to me, everything lined up right. I feel like, you know, there was really, you, based on time of the year, I know it was a tad early, but, I mean, temperature kind of, you know, abnormally somewhat lower temperatures, like perfect conditions, perfect front we had. Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't make sense why the activity wasn't that great then. And honestly, going back, you know, I've pulled almost all my cards, um, you know, and uh it's still, there was some activity then, but not nowhere. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. If I can put it to you in one sentence, we yeah. did have a flurry of activity. Um, probably from like the 27th to 31st, mm-hmm. it, it, things got hot. Then, then it dove back down again. And then it really never picked up until about November 8th. And then, uh, you know, it stayed hot for about 10 or 12 days after that, but it was just up and down up this way this year. But I really thought, I mean, I was stoked for what you guys, you know, you know, as we talked, as you guys were on your way, like, I was like, this is just the perfect storm, the perfect situation. And that time of year, it, you, it could be near 75 degrees. Like sure. we, we had cold mornings, 50 degree days. Yeah. I think the first day you came, you know, it snowed it that snowed. morning. Oh. Dude, he, he was already in the back of the truck for me. Like, I, <laughs> I, I was driving to your place and I adjusted my rearview mirror. I could see his rack back there already. I was, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really, it, it really, I don't think could have been any better as far Condition as wise. a weather yeah. front to be hunting scrapes, which is what yep. we were doing primarily. I mean, that, that third week of October, maybe if, you know, I mean, just October, third week of October, like in cold fronts, we had the, the rain come yep. through, I think just before that, it's like we were so baffled. I think at the end of that week, we're like, how did they not move? Like, how is it possible? And I can tell you guys, you know, I've done a lot, went through a lot of my trail cam data, only 83, um, mature buck daytime pictures. Now that doesn't mean like, you know, if a buck's working a scrape and I get 10 pictures of them, I just counted right. as one, obviously, but right. 83 pictures out of 170 cameras, roughly from October 1st to December 10th. That's mature deer. On a Holy cow. Camera. Crazy how bad it was. Wait, what's um, the number again? 83 pictures. 83 pictures. Of mature of bucks? In daylight. 
and that's not different bucks. You might have the same buck on there 10 times. I mean, I don't have individual numbers, but 83 different occurrences on 170 cameras, which to some, it might sound okay. like a lot, well, but that honestly, it's way it's Well, way I was going to say, I mean, if you're talking about October 1st, like, I mean, we're, we're probably talking about tens of thousands of occurrences of pictures. On 80, oh 160. God. So that's like, that's like two pictures per camera on half the camera yeah exactly (laughs) from october throughout the whole month yep i mean and the night pictures are insane like well even when you guys were here yeah we were getting pictures lots of night pictures uh it's just uh i don't get it i i just try to go back and you know i've been thinking it over you know what was going on up in this area and you know a lot falls back to like i said i think i think the herd health had something to do with it Mm -hmm. um Maybe, I mean, with the weather that we had, I just don't, I feel like there should have been some more mature deer movement. You don't think it was the acorns? Yes, I think that is a, that was a factor. I think um, that's it. Last man. year, yeah, I mean, that that's a huge factor, too. And even the year before, we didn't have acorns, but I feel like back-to-back years. That's got to be uh, hard on them. Yeah, I really, and even like the buck I shot, I mean, there was no fat on that deer. I mean, yeah. And that's November 12th. He shouldn't have burned up all, all his fat reserves by November 12th. So no. there should have been something left on him. I mean, my, uh, my speculation would be why would they leave the clear cuts? You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if there's no acorns, like there ain't nothing in those woods. Like there's, there's no browse, at least yeah. compared to what's in the clear cuts. And clearly, I mean, I think that's where they're betting. That's where the most, that's where the thickest cover is at. That's where the browse is at. If there's no acorns outside to pull them out of it, you know, why would they leave? Yeah, no, and I think that's, you know, uh, that's uh, probably a mistake on our part, too, is we we tried to back off of clear cuts a lot this year because we've been running into a lot of hunting pressure around them. Just everybody's finding clear cuts so easily just over their phone. So, you know, you just hate to be bumping into all kinds of hunters all the time. But I do think... uh, there was probably a lot better activity around those cuts. But then again, if you have pressure, it's still, then it creates a new problem. But I wish we would have been, you know, around some more clear cuts than what we were. I mean, that's where, you know, the, the day that you and I both did our excursions, right? First day, first uh, full day. First full day. You know, I, I kind of walked through and, you know, saw light sign, light sign. Then I finally ran into, I'm like, all right, I'm like, I'm in some big buck sign. And I found Steve, one of your cameras. And I checked and that buck had been on that camera, like whatever, like right at dark the night before. And so it was like, okay, like I need to get out of here and come back into the spot. And on the way out again, looking at maps, I'm like, you know, what was mature timber is now a recent clear cut I walked right into and that damn buck was bedded in that clear cut with does and a couple smaller bucks. And it was like, you know, I, I hunted that spot for, I don't know, whatever the next three sits, um, and nothing, you know, and it was like, did that entire group just pick up and move because I, you know, bumped them out of there? Maybe. Um, that's big woods hunting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think that yep. the, the acorn thing, um, cause I've seen that even in other places in my place in Kentucky, um, in Ohio, like places that, you know, there's other food, but the deer rely heavily, especially in October on those acorns and, and activity revolves around those. It has been two years of little to no acorns. Um, and I can't imagine the tool that's physically taken on these deer because of, you know, low fat reserves going into last winter. 
and coming out and now low fat reserves coming in. I mean, there's no residual carryover at all after two years of this. Yep. And I do think that has a part of it. And I mean, this could be crazy, you know, maybe I'm way wrong by saying this, but because uh, there are areas where there's no acorns for miles, but yet over the years, those areas can still be good and those deer are healthy. But then I also wonder like, does like mother nature, like, cast this net over a big area and just tells all the deer like you need to settle down this year because yeah we you know we just don't have the right fat reserves the right food sources because you wouldn't think no acorns would affect every deer when you have like clear cutting and other food sources and other Mm -hmm. areas but i do think it did play a huge factor into that because uh even last year um you know, the season prior 2021 was not a great rut, but then this rut was 10, I would literally say 10 times slower than the one before. So, uh, especially the mature buck activity. Um, and when I talk, you know, talking about pulling, you know, all my cards and going over the data, um, 50% of the pictures I had were from november 12th to november 21st of mature buck pictures Hmm. so you figure half of that activity was just in a little over a week and i'm doing like a two and a half month study here so um it was just a short blast and it seemed like november 12th and november 13th were the days to be here this year like and i know that's just such a narrow window of time but i mean i we uh we had uh three or four clients out that weekend plus me i killed one two other guys killed one a couple good ones what stinks is um the last week of archery season uh we we had one client because normally i don't guide then and i tried to guys off and get them to come because i just had a feeling things were going to finally turn on with that consistent weather that we were supposed to get and that was the best time and we just really didn't have anyone to take out but we still got like nine bucks this year out of like 30 some hunters i'm honestly not complaining Mm -hmm. um but i i was pretty good done a little bit yeah yeah that's not too bad i i mean i think that if pretty pretty amazing considering we didn't see a deer in three days well and that's what i mean they're there right i mean we saw a sign we saw plenty of sign we had night pictures of them i think it just really comes down the the again people a lot of people rely too heavily on acorns right when ultimately like the the thing that gets deer through the winter and through the entire year especially in the big woods is browse right if the deer didn't have browse they would die like they'd be dead so i mean the browse is what is the foundation that gets them through that said from a fat reserve standpoint from an energy standpoint the carbohydrates that are built up in those in those acorns is what fuels that deer and really positions them to survive through that winter. Um, and if you think about a mature buck, you know, bigger skeletal structure, more muscle mass, all of these things, he is burning more energy during his movements than, you know, a one-year-old buck even is. Maybe that one-year-old buck's running around like crazy, but he's burning more energy because it's a bigger frame. It's a bigger body. He has to consume more food. So, you know, I think when you, you start to put, I mean, it's not necessarily any, more difficult than than understanding like hey if if we're stranded on an island right and we don't have any food to eat like we can't just be running around the island like crazy you starve like you have to conserve energy i thought i really thought you were gonna say i'm gonna have to eat more food than you're gonna eat well (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I would, I'd have, I'd have to. Eat. I thought that's where we were going with. Yeah, uh, uh, Jared would have to be eating like my leg at day okay, three. So we're all stuck on an island. Who are we eating first? <laughs> Nick. Yeah. Right? There's yeah. not much to me. Yeah. You might want to save me. Yeah. Right? So, but that, yeah. Okay. He's yeah. going with the intelligence. He's going to outsmart us. On He's going to dig a hole. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what it. I think that's where that all starts to to pan out. And now, put that into a, a kind of a a trend factor of two years of that. I mean, these, these deer have to be, like you said, the, the buck that Jared was hunting, which I think we're all in agreement was a mature deer. Phil dressed at what? Yes. Buck 20. Like, yeah. And it was like a seven or eight year old. That's crazy. Yep. In November, or, right? End yeah, of November. I mean, you know, even still, That's you odd. think that at some point that deer was probably over 200 on the hook. Phil dressed. Yeah. I don't know if I haven't really, I'm, that's kind of like talking through a friend through a friend. Sure. But, uh, Gotta be field dressed. I, you know, yeah. like exact weight, but that's what he said around 120 pounds. And he said the stomach was full of ferns too. Ugh. So, uh, that's I mean, that fade. just doesn't sound like a good combination <laughs> yeah. going into the No winter. nutritional value there coming through at all. And, and no. I think again, it's, no. you know, it's op- these deer. Isn't there? No, no nutritional value. I, I heard mean, uh, it's got to be on the bottom of the food chain. Bo, Bo was <laughs> talking to Bo Martonic was talking about how, you know, he, he sees a lot of deer eating ferns. Maybe not if there's a more preferable food source, but especially as you get into the harder part of the winter. I mean, it is still some of the only green food that is, a you know, available. Is it though? Doesn't it brown down? It, it like... does. You know, I'm trying to think what else are beating. Some of them on the, uh, I will say on the north slopes, they tend to stay greener longer. I'm still seeing some green ones in places, yeah. but also the, the roots of them too. Sure. Uh, there's some carbohydrates in the roots. It kind of, they kind of look like spaghetti almost. So yeah. Um, I, I'm not saying it's like a key food source because no. uh, just looking at a lot of the deer around here, like they're they're hurting. They're you know I'm not going to say we're going to lose lose them all, but they're in dire need for uh, sure. a mild winter and better you know better acorn crop and just healthier environment. Well, unfortunately for them, besides that, uh, you know, massive front that we saw around Christmas that dropped, you know, really significant temperatures, which we'll talk about here in a second in terms of sheds, you know, it's been a pretty mild winter. You know, we have, we don't, we don't have deep snow. We've been pretty mild, you know? Yeah. What do you think, Steve? What have you been seeing? I know you said you got some snow up there. You're plowing this morning, but has it been a pretty, pretty mild winter? Has it? Extremely mild. Um, even now, like there's probably only four or five inches of snow. I live way on top of a mountain. And literally in my lawn, there's probably four inches. So that's not going to be much of a factor at all. The only thing we really got to watch out for, because there's limited browsing places, is sometimes in a mild winter when it goes like freeze and thaw, and then you start getting rain and then snow and you get like a bad ice layer. Like we talk about those deer digging up those fern roots and that. And then also, I think it's hard for them to get around. Like sometimes these milder off and on winters too can be a factor because it just builds that heavy ice layer and makes it once again tough for them to get around and dig through it to find whatever food might be available but it's very mild lately yeah we've thought that too i mean jeremy and i were talking on the last podcast i think about um just observationally like if the winters are getting you know more mild Mm -hmm. i mean yeah it seems like they are to me i even even throughout october november i mean it's like yeah doesn't seem like it gets cold anymore 
I mean, no. we, we get them quick blasts. Like you said, we had right around Christmas, we had two, three days of like blistering cold. Yeah. We had one cold front in November. Yeah. One cold front in October. Yeah. Significant cold front. And like other than that, it's just been like, I don't know, today's like on 40s, 40s and 50s. Like 40s, 50s. And rainy. And rainy. Like it's January. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I could be crazy, but like when I was a kid, we were getting like. Uh, I feel like we were. <laughs> which ain't that long ago. We were getting snow days. Dude, there was a year we got like six foot of snow. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just looking at the Pittsburgh one. It says like we've had like nine inches of snow. We should have 21 by now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you're talking to a guy that plows snow for a living, and I've done this for probably close <laughs> well, to Well, you're talking to a guy that plows. I'm oh, just kidding. <laughs> Well, just a quick example, like the first few years I was in business, I used to have a three inch minimum. Like I didn't go out unless there was three inches because it snowed so much that people didn't want to pay every time it, sure. you get like a half three inches. or even, you know, the it would just add up to too much. But now it's like any snow at all, people pay to have it removed or even if there's a dusting because the winters are getting so much milder and, it's, yeah. and even people not to get too off topic but they're getting like more scared of winter like oh my god it's snowing when yeah. years ago like a foot of snow didn't even bother people you know i think it's that's crazy. i think that's where you start to see these things happening and again probably for fortunate in terms of the deer herd of of the nutrition that they've had to go into something because if we would have had let's say a normal winter where it's highs in the 30s lows in the teens and dropping multiple six to 18 inch snow falls and stuff like these deer are probably being a world of shit. Yeah, no, they're, they should be, I mean, they might not be smiling right now, but I'm sure they're thinking, wow, this, if it just stay like this another couple months, we'll be yeah. in good shape. Well, and I, I think that one of the things that's hard too, when we talk about these big woods and obviously there is some private land and some timber company land up there, but Again, you know, there's there's very strategic clear cuts that are happening up there, which is creating browse. Um, but there's also, you know, giant areas that are just more mature type timber and open timber that, frankly, all that's there right now is ferns. Exactly. Yep. And uh, especially that's why it seemed like north slopes uh, were really well this year. Um because we had a lot of really dry weather in the fall. It seems like uh, it af affected some of the plant growth and plant life. Some of that browse was dying off a little early and a lot of stuff shifted to north slopes. That Where you saw that buck bedding, even though that was in a clear cut, that was somewhat north facing on that side of the hill too. It was. Um, so uh, little, yeah, little things every year that, you know, mother nature kind of throws at you in the big woods, you know, one year to the next, is never the same and you always you're just constantly adapting to what's being thrown at you so it's definitely a challenge that's for sure is there any agriculture up there at all nothing nope i've never uh i've and even for me like i've never hunted private land i've never you know hunted over corn or you know food plots that kind of stuff like this it's just and you know if i wasn't brought into it like who knows if I would be doing this, but if you're born into it, like you just get used to it and you develop strategies and tactics. And well, I, I don't, you talked about, you know, yeah, I don't you necessarily know. mean from, I was just gonna from, a, from a hunting standpoint, Steve, I'm just even asking from like a, a deer resource. Like is, do you see oh, yeah. deer shifting onto like, if there was any agriculture, I, I'm sure that would be happening. 
Yeah, I mean, not nowhere around me, you know, 15, 20 miles away, there's some, there's agriculture in places, the further east in, in sections, um, even really in all directions, eventually you get into some agriculture, but you're talking anywhere from 15 to 75 miles away. And it doesn't seem like those deer are shifting that far. Um, right. You know, they, they, they tend to tough it out in these areas. And honestly, most of them do make it, but still, I, I'm not going to say they're extremely healthy. You know, one of the things that <clears throat> I think that we see in some places, and we were talking about it kind of in this last podcast, is, you know, some of these deer are literally moving, you know, four or five miles, you know, and I'm sure it's it's rarities or it's excursions or whatever. But, you know, if you look at the deer in states like Upper Michigan or Minnesota where they have to move to these wintering yards, like they're literally picking up and migrating, you know, out of, of some of these areas and into more winter uh, suitable areas. You know, I, what I wonder, Steve, is you get into some of these places or even when we have, you know, significant, um, you know, uh, acorn deficit, basically, you know, are these deer literally, you know, moving their entire home ranges or positioning them different as those, you know, significant changes happen in what would be their normal landscape? Yep. Um, that, that could very well be because there's some deer that, uh, you know, they just, they don't seem to show up this time of year. You see it every year, but then you'll either get them in summer or fall and you tend to wonder if they've learned something where right. they find a food source or the right habitat, you know, several miles away. We might have talked this or talked about this before, but that one buck at my camp that I called Goliath, remember those massive sheds I yep. had mounted? Mm -hmm. uh, that deer for sure traveled, I you know, once again, sorry if I'm repeating it, but he traveled seven miles to his winter area every year because where I get him in the summer and fall and then in the winter was seven miles apart where I would get a shed. So to me, that deer learned something. Yeah. I, I don't think it was some natural occasion. I think he really learned something that if I shift over to this area, you know, there's better food, better winter habitat. Uh, he did it every year. So obviously it's got to be happening. Well, and that's what I'm saying. These deer are intuitive enough. And again, the goal up there is just to survive, right? It's so funny yep. to try to perceive what a deer is thinking. Like, imagine like if a buck could hear what we're saying, he's like, yeah, of course. Like the food's over there. Like I well, know where it's at. But you'll hear other people. <laughs> it's only seven miles away. They can't walk seven miles. Like Rising will tell you, you know, they're just goats in the woods. But I mean, some of these deer are doing things that you have to at least step back and say, Damn, that deer is smart. Like for like, he's not just you know happening to do that thing. Like this deer is moving seven miles every year for wintering range. Like he's doing this on purpose for a reason. Yeah. Yep. Especially say you're hunting that deer in archery season, and then going into gun season because I know that deer would shift in gun season some years. Um, seven miles away, you're not even in the ballpark yeah. you know, from where you might be archery hunting them and you're hunting his sign and everything, maybe his earlier bedding areas. And you're not anywhere. You're not close even close. That. You're not in the game at all. And you would think <laughs> a deer like that too, making that seven mile jump. And again, depending on where it is, like it could just so happens it's between the close of archery and the start of gun, but uh, something like that, you know, I'm sure he's fairly unfamiliar with that tract in between. Like he's done it before, but it's not like he knows it like yeah. the back of his hoof. Right. Every day these things live out there. Dude. I know, but every if he's just day. making that jump, 
seven miles to a new area every day it only takes us one time you go walk a piece of property and you know it forever i think he's more out there every though. day <laughs> yeah maybe. yeah you're, you're not wrong though. i know what you're saying yeah. yeah i can't tell you whether he made a shift in one day or two weeks or right be going a straight line like still there's there's a lot of figuring out to do and it sounds more impossible in my opinion to it figure is. out where he's going to be every day in that seven mile stretch so very unpredictable situation yeah. well that's what's so interesting about these gps studies right when you start to see these deer that are gps collared and they're taking readings every eight minutes or whatever and these deer are crossing rivers or they're literally picking up and moving their entire range like you said miles to where anybody who was like man i'm gonna kill that buck this year they're not even in the game like that deer's not anywhere no. close to them you know and until you really fathom like this isn't like just a, a rarity or an exception like these deer multiple mature bucks every year are making giant moves and 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 repositioning their entire core area and so yep. you know again it, it it comes back to like you have to feel sometimes you're hunting a damn ghost because you aren't in, <laughs> you aren't in the game anymore you know the fact that yep. he's picked up and moving unless you have more coverage of cameras or observation or somebody talks about him or whatever you know you have no idea you're just like damn i can't kill this deer i can't find him like where the hell'd he go yep. i think that totally. is one of the the bigger uh advantages like of, of trail cameras is like you, you while you certainly can overanalyze them and we you know mm -hmm. we just talked about that but they are super valuable if you have like a uh you know if deer are accessing a property from a certain way whether it's like a a pinch point or a drainage yep. or whatever to, to know that a buck has made a move that either that you've like experienced him doing in the past or like he's you know he's he's in a certain wood lot it's like okay all of a sudden this seven mile range gets transformed into potentially yeah. a, a huntable block right and you may not know within this whatever 50 80 150 acre lot where he's at you know but mm -hmm. that's that's where you're you know well and that's what i was gonna ask you steve you know obviously uh this time of year and especially entering february you know, you're about to put a, a shitload of boots on the ground, right? In terms of covering ground. Well, two boots, but two boots, <laughs> <laughs> two boots, two boots, a shitload of times. There you go. There you go. Um, but you know, a shitload of shitload boots. of boots. <laughs> How many boots you go through? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. yeah, there you go. See? Um, but if if you think about it, like a lot of your um strategy i guess is depending on trends year after year and and now here we are in the second year of not having acorns you know in theory we would all kind of think that next year we're going to have an explosion and there's going to be a ton of acorns everywhere but we don't know so when you're walking into this this year like what are you trying to take away from some of these some of these walks and and you know explorations of area to apply to connect the dots for next year um, well, I look back at where I think, uh, you know, where, where did I struggle? I'm, even though, you know, I had some success, I'm really more, like I said, trying to find, okay, where could I have improved? And then I go into those areas like, or kind of what, especially things where like, you know, I talked about like North slopes, uh, they were something that I kind of overlooked. I think, uh, also, you know, we didn't, we didn't put enough focus on clear cuts. So then, I'll try to figure out those things where I know we slacked off on and uh, should have focused on more. And as I'm going through certain areas, you know, okay, where are clear cuts in this area? Where, 
where can I find clear cuts that probably aren't getting hunting pressure, like more harder to get to areas, even that area where you hunted, mm-hmm. even though like that's a younger cut, but give that another spring and summer to grow. It's probably going to be a really good spot and that's sure. not an easily accessible area. So, you know, I'm going to look for more places like that, really just kind of honing my edges, uh, improving where I can. I mean, I really can't get to know any areas a whole lot better, but I can go into these areas and focus more on, like I said, where I thought uh, we were making some mistakes this past season and try to get a step ahead of the game more than being a little bit more behind. Yeah. But, you know, every year is, like I said, going to be different. Um, And uh, I also don't want to say that, okay, whatever I see scouting this spring is going to be exactly what those deer are going to do next year. It won't be just that easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have deer um, that you're hoping that you find some sign of shed or whatever that, you know, you're not sure as of right now made it through? Absolutely. There's, there's probably at least 10 deer, like a lot of, uh, I don't know if you, if you guys saw uh, what I, this deer I posted today, you probably didn't yet, but, uh, honestly, I think it's either a three and a half or four and a half year old. It might be probably at least I would say mid one fifties, like, and that's a deer we don't have a lot of history with because I think it just blew up. Like it could even been a three and a half year old eight point last year that we really didn't pay much attention to. And then this year it's a giant. So, you know, those deer you know, those five or six that look like they got a lot of potential. I want to spend a lot of time in those areas Mm -hmm. and try to definitely, uh, put some, put some pieces together for, you know, going into next season. I will say, um, it seems like a lot of bucks too. Uh, we talked about shifting, like they're, they have like these early fall areas and then, some of them are even transitioning pretty far in the rut and leaving these early fall areas and, you know, spending the rut more in other areas. So, you know, those are some things we got to, you know, pin down and put the pieces together as well. Cause if you're an individual hunter, you know, once again, you want to be close to his bed in the early fall, but if you don't know what that deer is going to do in the rut, even though it's somewhat unpredictable, but still you, you want to try to get ahead of the game and put pieces together this time of year uh then you know going into next season that's what i'm trying to do yeah i mean i think that um a lot of people get i wouldn't say um down on themselves but but maybe even frustrated like they go into an area that they're pretty sure that this buck has been you know you're seeing sign and like as most will have it like you don't find the shed right and you know whether that eats at you for the rest of the year until next fall till you finally get a picture of them or not you know, it's kind of the like unknown factor that just like, you know, drives a lot of us to say, well, you know, how much time should I put in this area? Should I even worry about that deer? Should I be thinking about something else? And I think that's where a lot of people probably are, are not frustrated, but, but definitely kind of on edge as they go into the spring and summertime is, you know, if there's a deer that they really have set their goals on and they don't know if it, you know, was shot or if it made it through, you know, how, how are they or how should they approach that next year, you know, from an effort standpoint to understand if they should be spending time on that or if it's, you know, hey, it's time to move on and find something else that's that's going to fill that void. Yep. And I'll just touch on that, like to make sure I thoroughly answered this. Um, 
I like things that I'm looking for or, you know, any real good active scrapes in those areas. I'm, I'm noting them, um, you know, on my, on my app, on my phone, my Spartan Forge. Um, also, you know, big sign you're finding. You're also in a big woods situation. You want to find like where are the mass trees available? You know, are there any sections or patches of oaks? You want to go in there and do all that damage. Now you don't want to be putting a ton of boots on the ground, looking for those things come next hunting season so you know make that mess now and that will give that deer a lot of time to forget about what you did and then you can kind of just you know throw your jabs at them next hunting season as you already kind of have a feel for some of these key points Mm -hmm. of interest that you need going after yeah and i would assume that even let's say that deer did get shot and you just don't know it i mean if you're in a prime area another buck's going to move right into that place that's, that's a great point too. Yep. I see that so many times and that's, what's nice is, uh, you can count on some areas year after year too. And another thing too, that, um, it seems like some of these older deer, I don't want to say they're, they're easier to hunt, but it seems like when you build history with a deer, they seem to get easier, at least for me, easier to stay on, or at least feel like you're, you're in the game with some of these deer because you get, you know, you get two, three years of similar, you know, data and intel from a deer, especially on your trail cameras, and you see them doing some of these same things at the same time of year, and you can kind of build on that next season. But for instance, this deer that I'm telling you about, like, yeah, we might have one year of of intel here, but it, to me, it's not as much as what I'd like. Like, mm-hmm. are we sure we know this deer enough? So, so a younger deer, you know, a three or four year old that has a lot of potential, it's actually a little bit different situation. Yeah. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately, that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. Southcam.com. Check them out. Did, um, you know, we were talking about some of the trail camera data and stuff that you were seeing. Um, any, any other insights on that that you can share? Like, you know, w- uh, anything around like peak scrape activity or anything like that, that you've kind of just uh, observationally even looked at? I have kind of like, um, a, I have a question to like kind of top onto that uh, i've yeah steve i've never run cameras i don't think on scrapes beyond like november for, i think at some point i always would pull them and sure. we put them on like food plots and stuff i had uh yeah. i've got two at least two scrapes that like really stood out to me this year as like uh you know uh you know i had multiple mature bucks hitting them throughout the season i just felt really strongly about uh you know the activity that was happening there and mm-hmm. uh on both of them, it seemed like the, you know, I'm still getting like small bucks and does will come through and, and, and hit the scrape and sometimes even work, work the leaf underneath of them. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but both of those seem to have like really, really dropped off, which I know it's, you know, it's not October. It's, it's not peak sign laying stuff, but it's those bucks that were there have all but disappeared. I'm just curious, you know, I know you're getting, 
throughout the year. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of bucks still hitting scrapes and stuff. So that's my compliment yeah, to Jeremy's. I, I still, I don't think there's like as, as much of an interest uh, outside of a certain phase. I would maybe call it like a pre-rut phase when I think scrapes are, you know, at their best, maybe the mid to late October <laughs> period. But I do think if, uh, if that scrape this time of year is kind of in their path, like, you know, if you got a trail that a buck is using to and from bedding that, you know, it seems like they'll still work that often if they don't have to go out of their way much. Or um, it also seems like if you have a few mature deer in an area, you know, even though right now they're not that territorial, it still seems like they will, you know, work those scrapes a little more if you have a few mature deer around versus if it seems like it's the only dominant deer and uh, there's just a lot of younger deer and does, it doesn't seem to be as consistent kind of in the off season. At least that's what I'm seeing. Mm. And I would say, you know, um, so there's just no deer there. That's what <laughs> I think one of the things that I can't remember if it was Illinois, maybe it was Illinois. Remember we had that one lease. We had that really good scrape on the edge of Shawnee national and like throughout yeah. Throughout February, March, April, like even when these deer, I mean, we're talking nubs, but you could tell like that's a mature buck. Yeah. They were coming and crushing that scrape, but it was just because it was in like the key travel corridor from bedding up the, up right. the ravine down into these fields where they're likely feeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There, but then there's that period in October where in my opinion and experience where I think they go out of their way, there might be a half portion of the day or longer where a buck is thinking of all the scrapes that he usually hits in a certain area. And he's just making his rounds, checking and working all of them. Like that's, that's where you're seeing some of this activity peak and drop off because it's more of like a rut type scenario. At least mm. what I'm seeing. Mm. Are you going around and uh, putting scrapes in this time of year, like licking branches? Yeah, I still do. Or, uh, you know, a lot of my spots, you know, it's funny this year, I might not have tied a lot of them up good or what, but a lot of them did not hold up. And usually they do. Uh, but, uh, I'm repairing a lot of them. Like if there's no licking branch, you might as well forget about it, honestly. Um, or, uh, I don't do a lot of it when there's snow on the ground because you can't see like, you know, trails and deer traffic as well. I kind of relate more to what, because you know, when the snow melts in the spring, then you can see what the deer did last fall. Mm -hmm. Um, that, when I really will put out a ton of my mock scrapes, um, you know, it just seems like that sign and that travel evidence is way easier to see at that time of year versus anywhere else. That's when I'm putting most of mine out. Do you feel like you've got the scrape process like perfected? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not bragging at all. I don't know if I want to say perfected, but very confident in it. Um, I mean, are you, you know, bottling your pee for sale yet or... <laughs> Well, to be, to be honest with you, I'm even doing less and less of that. I, you know, I'm, Hey, I, you guys might've seen in some of my spots, like I'm hanging on mainly just beach branches. Um, I love using beach branches over just anything else. And, you know, this might just be more in my area, but I did a few test mock scrapes because everyone's telling me to use vines and I see a ton of people having success with them, but I did in three different spots, a, uh, beach limb and a vine like on a double mock scrape three foot apart and the beach limb crushed the vine. Like most of the bucks never even touched the vine. Interesting. And it might be because we don't have a lot of grapevine here. Sure. Maybe maybe they're just not quite familiar with it. 
Um, but yeah. way more success with beach. You know, another thing too, that's kind of funny is like, I'll go through a lot of areas, you know, on this public land, I'll see like, gee, I see a beach limb hung there that I'll see tied up and it's not mine. So apparently a lot mm. of people listen to these things mm. and which mm. I, I think is great anyways, but I think a lot of other people are starting to have success with the beach limbs too. Yeah, I, I see that a lot, at least in, in the big woods that I hunt where I've got a lot of beach. I, I've seen those have significant scrapes. I've also seen those, son of a, son of a beach. those uh, smaller beach trees often being the ones chosen to rub on as well for whatever reason. So what kind of yeah. tree is a beach? We don't, we don't American beach. Ohio. So like is smooth, soft wood? smooth bark, soft wood. Like a maple? Um, maple? Yeah. Closer to a maple, it, but also um, beaches will hold their leaves a lot longer um, yep. into the season. So, and they all, you know, and again, in certain years, they also, the larger ones produce a beech nut, which is, you know, pretty desirable by deer, for sure desirable by turkeys and grouse, um, you know, and so your American beaches, and a lot of times when you see an American beach, it's just, it's a large gray smooth bark tree. Right. That's, that's you know, and it and it has a ton of branches hanging off of it usually. So and um, one ahead. thing, if you don't mind, uh I'll just add about beach limbs and when you brought up the leaves hanging on is if you look from a distance and you just hang like a limb or a vine with no leaves and then you hang a limb with leaves, from a hundred yards away a deer will see that better. Like yeah, they see there's just sure. more of a visual standout. And I've seen it in my tree stands before, like that buck was nowhere near downwind of that scrape, but he saw that vertical beach limb, or uh, yeah, vertical limb, you know, that looks like it's naturally broken and like, you know, a scrape. And they'll come into that because they saw it versus just right. going through the woods and smelling a scrape. Like they, they're very attracted to, to that, that type of feature just for the fact that it's, you know, sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Uh, they're using their eyes to find these scrapes just as much as their noses. So, here, Steve, I'll get vulnerable with you for a moment. And I'll, I'll share. I'll share with you my uh, my tried and true scrape. I I have like a, a process that I think I've I feel really uh -huh. strongly about, and uh, I'm open to critiques. So, if you think it's you know shit, you can tell me. But <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so what I do is um, I, I'm not as particular about the the type of tree. I don't think it's just is more to do it's like location 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 you know it's got to be in the right spot and it's there's got to be a limb that will work you know and sometimes i'll go i'll go high if i have to and break something i'll, I'll bring it down um yep i get them eye level Tip, typically i want kind of the bottoms of the of the you know the, the twigs eye level and mm -hmm. I, I try to find something first of all that's sturdy so it won't break off it's got to be it's got to be like fixed in place and what mm -hmm. I'll do is I take all the limbs. So like a lot of times it'll be a, a small oak or it'll be a, like a maple tree. The only ones that I avoid are uh, like, uh, oh, what are they called? Like um, they're splintery trees. Sharp, they have sharp, sharp like needles locusts. and stuff on them. Locust trees? Well, we don't have any locust trees, but um, I don't know what they're called, but prickly trees. I, I stay away from prickly trees. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is when it's eye level, I take all of the limbs, you know, usually they're just like, you know, finger diameter type stuff. And I'll, tw I twist them all up like as much as I can. And so I turn something that looks like this yeah. into this and it's all, I mean, it's crazy. And then I'll take a machete, a machete or like a small rake and I'll just like rake the crap out of it. I get the, the you know, the, I'll, it's usually a soft bark. So I get it like peeled open, half the leaves are off. 
And I mean, it's an eyesore. It really sticks out. Um, and then I just tear the crap out of the soil beneath it with like a, ideally a heavy duty, like a rock rake. Um, and I've been, I, I've been topping the, you know, the scent off. I, I actually legitimately have been having a lot of luck with, um, the, the Tingley's pre orbital, I'm sorry. Yeah. Smokies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, no, I, I don't do anything to the dirt. I just, you know, it's just there. So I think it's a great idea. And, uh, I actually, that's what a lot of my mock scrapes kind of eventually turn into. You know, they get so beat up, they get all twisted up. And just yeah. how you said, I think that uh, definitely the more attractive, the more well used you make that scrape look, yeah. uh, I think the more interested, uh, especially a mature buck, is going to want to come check it out. So, yeah, I make I, them I like, think it's a great idea. I make them like obnoxious. Like, I, it looks like a Tyrannosaurus Rex has been like <laughs> sh- just shredding that licking branch. And they love it. I think one of the things, too, uh, I, I think the visual point that you made, Steve, was is a really good one. Um, you know, maybe, you know, if a deer's cruising a field and it's an edge, like, I think the position and, and I mean, heck, you go around and cut every other limb and leave one down. Like do it makes too, it. Yeah. But if they're walking through the woods, you know, there's usually quite a bit of options um, on that. I think the other one that, that I've seen a lot, um, for whatever reason, on the mature buck side especially, is like deer that, like if I'm hunting a scrape, which in October I usually am or damn close, I've seen these bucks like work those scrapes downwind and like as clear as it would seem that that deer should come in and crush that thing, they just don't. And then normally I'll get a picture of them like later that night or whatever it might be you know, work in that scrape, but for whatever reason in those daylight hours, it's almost more that they're scent checking it. And then like under the cover of night, they're like, all right, now I'm going to get up in this thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you look at some of the research, like, I mean, you know, most of these scrapes are getting crushed at night, you know, for whatever reason. But I do think that there's quite a bit of them being scent checked during the day. It's just, you know, if you've got that camera on that scrape with a 30 degree angle of view, you know, you're not seeing them sneak back behind you and scent check that thing. You're absolutely right. And I was even in spots trying to figure out the predominant wind and try to point those cameras in the right direction to catch that type Mm. of activity. So that's, that's a no doubt. Like that's not just a, uh, something that you're just making up like you've probably totally seen it too exactly. like i mean it, you know yeah. think about like northwest or southwest wind. like the wind's gonna you know vary throughout the month that you're watching that scrape you know we've all probably yeah. seen that buck in the background and you're like there he is and it's just like well, he like he didn't come and hit it like um, and you almost like question like he saw it you know he did or he's been there before and then sometime later in that evening you know he's in there crushing it did you have much success with that you said you've run cameras <laughs> trying to pick deer up downwind of it absolutely and even the deer that you hunted that big nine i did that to him the year before and he was way less active at the scrape but uh he would want to come in you could tell you know he was just circling a lot you know downwind (laughs) even the one time he was staring at it and you could slightly see he was staring more at the licking branch than at the camera and i think he just stopped to get a little whiff at it and then just went by like Think about like certain, you know, periods of the rut where he's more interested in finding, you know, that next hot doe. Yeah. He's, he's probably thinking, well, if I'm going to please maybe pass by that scrape 15, 20 yards, but, but you know, doesn't mean I'm, I'm really interested in hitting it unless I smell, a, you know, a hot doe there or maybe a, another mature buck that might 
be a competitor of mine. Like I think there's just certain situations their noses are so powerful that they don't have to really go and work the scrape unless they want to put their own scent on it. Yeah. And wouldn't they, though? I mean, you'd think so. I mean, I, I think, again, that's the social aspect of this stuff that we don't understand. Do, do you think they can s- differentiate all the different deer that are hitting? 100%. I agree, too. You should. You yeah. got to watch. Maybe you guys already did, but I'm telling you, that video I posted today of that buck. I just watched another it. Buck, yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. Another buck came in, like, I don't know, four or five hours before that. And you can literally tell that he, he wasn't just scraping that dirt to put his own scent down, like, he was getting that deer scent out of that scrape and you, he smelled it afterwards to make sure most of the scent was gone. <laughs> like they totally know, you know, he, how, how well, he wouldn't have done that if he didn't feel he had an intruder. So they definitely know that. I had, I had one camera on a scrape and it, I don't know, there was probably 12 or 13 different bucks that hit this thing. And I want to say three of those bucks were either four or five. And most of the bucks that were one, two, and three would come in and, you know, they'd work the the licking branch and stuff, but, you know, and maybe pod a little bit, but nothing like crazy. Those, those four and five-year-olds, and it was only during October. Once it came out of October, you didn't see it, but they would, all three of them, I mean, would absolutely drop, you know, a gallon of piss in the scrape and they would all, I mean, work that thing to where you could see the dirt slinging behind them. But those other bucks were just, they're just kind of, they're just, you know, probably putting their preorbital or forehead gland on the licking branch. But those other bucks, I mean, they were trying to make sure that scent in that scrape was like well known that they had been there. Um, and you saw, you could see that on multiple scrapes on the property. And then once you get to that part, like right around Halloween, maybe even right before Halloween, like I would see them bump a, a, a scrape, but they never were as aggressive on that scrape as they were from you know, October 13th to the 25th. Like it just seemed like at that time, that is the hierarchical, you know, structure layout. Um, once you get past that, doesn't mean they're not going to fight or, or doing, but I just think that they kind of know it's kind of been worked out at that point. And, you know, at this point we're trying to breed, but before that, man, they're just jostling for position in that, in that herd dynamic. Yep. No, that's, I've, you couldn't have said it any better than that. And even when you guys were coming up to hunt, like remember I said, I think our best game plan and I was hoping you'd be on the same page. I said, we're going to hunt these hot scrapes and we had the deer that we wanted coming in at night. And you're assuming like with the weather and based on time of year, that something was going to show up in the daytime that didn't happen, but that is the time of year to be hunting those scrapes. Um, Generally you're going to see some real good mature buck daytime activity that time of year, you know, that 13th to 25th period. I I almost have to wonder too, in those situations, Steve, based on kind of that observation, you know, if, um, let's say, especially cause like we were, we were hunting mature deer. Like it wasn't like, Hey, let's just kill the first three year old that we see or something. If, if another mature buck doesn't come and visit that scrape, then why in the hell would he get up and go and spend the energy and time to do something at that scrape? You know what I mean? Like if he's already visited it at night and in between, you know, night to night, essentially those daylight hours, no other deer comes and tries to mark its territory in that scrape during October. Why get up and and have to go and do it, you know? And that that would be interesting. I don't know if you could go back and look at like scrape frequency and how it was like, triggering affected basically. by other deer hitting it within a certain period of time 
You know, that really is a really good point that you brought up because I was going to bring this up earlier that in the past two years, because I'm a huge scrape fanatic and had a lot of success, but in the past two years, I haven't had and seen as much Mm -hmm. of that consistency. But what I've also seen the past two years is like more mature buck isolation. Like a lot of years you might have three or four mature deer in like, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred acres, roughly. I mean, it varies at times, but it just seemed like there was a mature deer in this on this ridge, and then two or three ridges yeah. over, you'd have enough mature deer. And it kind of makes sense. Like maybe I haven't had those consistencies because they didn't have the competition. It's not as much overlap. Yeah. Because another thing too is when you have acorns <clears throat> that pockets more deer in the areas and that's when i've had my best success on scrapes those acorn years sure but you're getting more than one mature deer coming in there to feed mm. plus you got a lot of does around yeah so that is that's a really good point and i mean if anything i i think i've learned something today too so well, i think it, it just it just comes down i mean again these are the social aspects that the three of us as well as a lot of people listening to this drive themselves crazy over because like we have no idea what the deer are thinking but you just have to imagine in that in that October period, those deer are doing that to mark a territory, to set a hierarchy up in, the, in that herd dynamic. And if I go and I work a scrape and I lay my scent down and I go back to bed and, and you know, again, from a scent check st- situation, no other deer has visited that scrape. Why come and work it and do all that again? Unless I'm getting closer to the end of October when it's more of I'm trying to attract a doe to that scrape or let her know that I'm in the area. Think about it like running a trap line. You know what I mean? Like you go out there. Like you ever run a trap line, Steve? Years ago, yeah. Coyotes or fox or whatever. Um, You go out and you, you... the first time around you lay, you set all the traps, yep. you know, you dig out the, the trap bed, you dig the hole, you, you know, yep. and you're on it, you know, you're in there and then you, you back out. You don't ever go walk back up to the, or mess with it, you know, until and you like, see that it's been set off, messed with. You, you kind of yeah. drive your truck, get the binos yeah. out and check it. You know, that'd be our version of smelling Which it would from be downwind. Why I wonder like that buck that was, that you were hunting was sent checking that thing. If no mature buck that he felt threatened by had hit that scrape since he had been there, then he's, probably like eh, still still me right still yep. me on top type of thing interesting and, and also in 2021 although that's when i had success on a scrape but that was november 6 when it was just mainly does a lot of doe activity at a scrape but i think because i had that consistent doe activity that's what brought that buck there because he was communicating with does but you talk about that october phase i think you know you're right if you don't have the right competition and that buck, you know, doesn't feel like he has much to worry about in his core area or even his, some of his breeding area, probably not going to hit scrapes as much. Mm. I think that's, uh, one thing that this time of year that a, a lot of people might overlook is, you know, you can learn a lot from scrapes right now. Like that licking branches is, is still there, you know, unless it's one you've yeah. been monitoring constantly. Like I know when I go out, cause honestly, you know, I think at least where I'm hunting in Ohio, a, a lot deer are betting a lot differently than they do during October, November. They're just basically get as close to this late season food as they can, you know, or, or they're piled into thermal cover. It doesn't, for me, really translate to when I'm going to be hunting them in October, November. Uh, but what does is, you know, a lot of those beds are, especially the buck beds where they've really worn them in or where it makes sense from a, a topographical standpoint, uh, they're still there. And the sign that they laid 
during those months is still there, whether some scrapes that they got up and hit on the way out or, you know, some rubs that they left right there in the spot. Um, all that stuff to be looking yep. for right now, I think. Absolutely. No, that's exactly what I'm doing. And uh, if, if you're not doing it, you're really missing out because uh, there's so much information to be gathered this time of year. And, and like I said before, you're having very little impact on uh, messing anything up next season. So, yeah. and it's just great way to keep your mind in tune, your body in shape. I mean, I just, I don't know why someone wouldn't want to be postseason scouting right now. For sure. Well, I think that one thing that, you know, people, I don't know if they, they, they don't pay attention to it or maybe they just don't take it serious enough is, you know, if you're going for a walk in February, you have to think that most of those deer are, are in some sort of cover, maybe thermals or they're, they're at least on south facing slopes as they warm. But, you know, their goal is basically bed food, bed food, right? They're not thinking, they're thinking survival. That's all they're thinking. And, you know, if you start to look at maybe not necessarily as much where they're bedded now, as much as like where you think that they're going or where you're seeing tracks in the snow going or where you're finding that shed, maybe on uh, a clear cut or a food source, you know, those same kind of patterns. I mean, you know, as these deer get older, I guess back to what you kind of said there, Steve, is not that they're easier to hunt, but they become creatures of habit. You know, and so if they find reliable food sources and those same reliable food sources are going to be there come late summer and fall, if it's in the clear cut phase or, you know, if it's a secluded clover plot or whatever it might be, like ultimately those are probably going to be some of the same things that they look towards, you know, as you approach next hunting season. And if anything, it at least gives you uh, an area to set up a camera and start to see maybe you come across that deer you know, and now he's recognizable because his antlers are growing and stuff in the late summer. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. And it's, uh, you know, speaking about this time of year, like now's the time of year. I think you can dial in a little bit better and, uh, you know, really get to know a deer as good as possible based on those two, three, four years, or maybe longer of Intel. You know, that's, I can think of this, uh, one deer I killed, geez, I don't know, it's probably, I don't know, four or five years ago, but maybe not quite that long, but I was out, you know, just trying to learn the deer better this time of year. I ended up finding one of his sheds on a certain part of this, this one ridge that I never even had any pictures or knew the deer really used. And then sure enough, uh, uh, the next season comes and I kill that deer right in that same area where I found the shed. Now I'm not saying it's always that easy but, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, what, you know, like I said, what you, what you put in this time of year, is going to have a huge impact on, uh, you know, going into next season. I'll leave it with this before I have to go pick up the kid. The one thing that I get the most excited about at this time of the year is that I restrain from going in so many places throughout, you know, uh, probably July to, January, you know, and things that like from a terrain or I wonder what it looks like or where's he laying. And at this time you can just go in and know that you're not going to screw anything up. Like it is not going to affect you next year. He, you know, the memory will be out of his brain by then, but you know, dive into some of these just gnarly thick areas that these deer have been laying in. 
and and see what it is firsthand, right? Stand or sit in a bed, look out of it. Why is he laying here? You know, you may find a lot of things that you had no idea existed on a property, even if you own a property um, that you just, you know, haven't been in. Get aggressive, go in, explore as many deep crevices of the property as you possibly can. And that, that knowledge is going to help you when it comes back to hunting season next year. Yeah. And one last thing too, I know you got to get going, but I'll add that people should be doing this time of year is maybe even a little bit closer to spring, but I really put a lot of cameras out like February, March, April. And it's not so much I'm using that Intel then, but I think with a lot of mature deer, um, I do agree that you know, sometimes cameras can have an effect on them, but getting those cameras out months in advance, I'm telling you, even if that deer only comes by there, you know, five or six times before hunting season, I feel like eventually they get more used to it. And if you're not continuously going in there, checking those cameras, putting that scent there, uh, and then just leaving it, you know, based on like, you know, you might find a really good scrape from last year, put that camera on that scrape this time of year or a good rub line trail, whatever get that stuff out done ahead of time on some of these mature deer. I'm telling you, it'll have a huge impact going into the next season. I think that's a big one, man, for sure. I got deer hitting a scrape right now. There you go. <laughs> that's one, one of the two that I mentioned. Yeah. I I think it's a, it's a cool time. And I mean, again, it's been milder winter, milder winter. So just get out and enjoy it and walk and find some sheds. But uh, we'll see. I appreciate you jumping on here kind of last minute this afternoon, but I definitely would like to get you back on maybe as we get into that March, April time frame kind of coming out of yeah. shed season, what you found. And then really, you know, that, that becomes a time frame where I think a lot of people kind of put deer in the back of their brain, but I think there's some really good opportunities there in that March, April, May time frame to take advantage of before it gets, you know, too super hot and nasty out. Absolutely. I'll be ready uh, whenever, like I said, as long as I'm in your guys' top three, you see the hat I'm wearing. I know, right? man. So you're, you're pulling. Know. You're yeah. pulling All for right. us. Let so. us know when you're due for another one. I'll yeah. get you are, you, up. are you going <laughs> to the uh, Great American Outdoor Show? You know, it's going to be hard to say. It, it's really tough for me to get far from home this time of year with, with the weather. weather. If it's real mild, you know, I see for sure that I can get away. I'd love to come down. Are you guys going to be down there? Yeah, or? we'll be at the Whitetail Properties booth for a few days. Okay. Yeah. Just uh, text me when you're down there. I'll see if I can make it. But if there's any chance of snow, I'm kind of stuck with a ball and chain. Very cool, man. Well, we appreciate you jumping on brother and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Take care guys. We'll see you later. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows. (laughs) Or or a Matthews. (laughs) One in the same. Yeah. But in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out. When you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows, I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, th- th- especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I-, I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea fort of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr- proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. Uh, awesome. Good to have Steve on there and I figured he'd have some insight. It's yeah. kind of funny when you get the right minds in the room, you start to just pick things apart. But I was just thinking, <laughs> I'm like, what, why would a... You know, why would a big buck waste his time to get back up and go and work a scrape when 
There's been no other threats to his domain. If you could change brains with like a deer, a mature buck for one day, or, or bodies, I mean, like put your brain in a in a mature buck, or I was thinking, could I just glue a live streaming camera, like a body cam, to his head and just watch for a day? It would be freaking awesome. Or a woman is what I was gonna say. <laughs> change brains with a woman. Mm-hmm. Be be like be one. Oh, would you be a buck? I'd be, yeah, I'd be a buck. I don't want to be a woman. Uh. Um, but think about that. If you glued a camera to a buck's head, which Peto would probably have a little fit about, but you could just follow him. Like what he would do. Yeah, in a well, day. that's tracking collar. I mean, that's. Yeah, but no, I want to see what he sees. Tracking yeah, I mean, collar only goes so far. I'd choose a tracking collar over over camera for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, that would be. I want to know where he's at. But to literally have his, to be in his brain. I wonder what, how, what I mean. how we could do that. Like, what uh, if we wanted to say, GoPro. like, hey, we've got farms. Uh, call it, Bronson to Mississippi State and be like, dart one. hey, can we put a collar on a mature buck on our farm? Oh, I mean, dude, if there's any possibility of that happening, I'm 100%. Do you think there is? I don't think they just go they just do that. I mean. Lesson Bronson, we're going to need a helicopter and we're going to need some darts. A yeah. lot of them. We could probably buy ketamine on the black market and just hit them with that. <laughs> Have darts like, doom, 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 doom. Be pretty cool, yeah. I would assume that you could do that. We'll check it out. We, we definitely should. It'd have to be some part of some sort of research project, which is sure. I'm just curious. The Hunter Research Fund facility 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 fund. We come to your property. We Jurassic dart. We Park. dart one of your bucks, and we put a collar on it, and we track it. I bet it's expensive. Well, it's awesome. Bronson. Bronson's gonna come on the podcast here soon. Okay. Uh, we'll ask Bronson. And be like, by the way. Yeah, I'd love to know. If we were to fund this project, could we do it? Well, we need somebody else to fund it. We need, like, the state to fund it. Uh, I bet we could find people to fund it. Crowdfunding. Possibly you. Donors? <laughs> Possibly you. <laughs> so, anyways, it would be cool. But, um, yeah, it, it's interesting when you get, you know, Steve spends a ton of time in the woods, so it's it's nice to get his viewpoint and stuff. Also, like, also depressing to see, like, man, two years in a row, it seems like his activity and stuff has decreased. So, um, but, well, you know, we'll keep up with Steve on that. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week. Later. <laughs> Take me oh.